0: Father, we come to you this morning in the precious and mighty name of Jesus. We want to thank you for the opportunity together as your church to worship you in spirit and in truth and to grow in the knowledge of who you are. As we spend time on your word over the next few minutes, Lord, give us a burning desire to live according to the instructions that you preached in the Sermon on the Mount. And may we be kingdom representatives that not only talk a good game, but actually play it out in our everyday lives. May we be Christians that live by faith and action. And Lord, we know that everything we face in our world right now wants to lead us away from the kingdom you are establishing because the kingdom of darkness hates the light. So we ask, Lord, that you would strengthen our spirit, soul, and body to fulfill that which you've called us into when you adopted us as your sons and daughters. Come and have your way in each of us today. And we ask this all in the name that is above every other name, the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. 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 Church, this morning, we are back in our series, Preaching the Kingdom. And just in case you've forgotten, because it has been a couple of weeks, this series is about the Sermon on the Mount pe- uh, preached by Jesus himself on a sloping hillside just north of the Sea of Galilee. The exact location where Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount is unknown because the Gospels don't make it that clear, but tradition names the location as a large hill known as Curran-Hatton or the Horns of Hatton located near Capernaum along the Sea of Galilee. There is a modern church nearby called the Church of the Beatitudes. And church, this is an area where you would see the beautiful flowers of the grass on the plains of the hill and all the nature all around. You would notice the Sea of Galilee off in the distance. It sounds like I've been there before, but I haven't. But those that have say it's a beautiful and special place. But even more beautiful than the surroundings were the words that Jesus the Son of God, the Messiah, gave to a group of people that made up his disciples and even a broader group than just the 12, probably a couple of hundred of these people who had an interest in being his followers and his disciples. And then Jesus begins to explain to this group of people what it is like to be my follower. He explains to them what it's like to be a citizen of the kingdom. And so first he describes the kind of character of those kingdom citizens in what we call the Beatitudes. And he explains to them that these are the kind of character traits and qualities of those who are a part of my kingdom. In other words, if you want to represent me, and if you want to be a kingdom ambassador, this is the way that you need to live and behave in this world. And as we looked at last time, at the end of that section in Beatitude number 8, Jesus explained that these people who have these character traits, these people who are committed to being kingdom ambassadors, those very people will often be persecuted by a hostile world. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he said that we should rejoice in our persecution. We should rejoice because there is great reward for us in heaven, and we are in good company. The prophets before us, they were also persecuted. So that's what we looked at last time, and it's, and it's hard for us to get our heads around that because we would expect that those people would receive applause from the world for being meek and being humble and being peacemakers and being pure in heart among the others. But the majority of the time, the world rejects them and persecutes them. And last time I gave you an idea of the degree of persecution that is taking place in our world today, and that there are many different forms of persecution. And you know, church, when we are persecuted, or when we see dark times on the horizon, there's a tendency to withdraw within a protective shell. Right? We want to just go into our prayer closet, which is not a bad thing, by the way, and we just hope these things will, will blow over. And I guess that makes sense because when attack comes, you have, you have the natural response of either fight or flight. You either want to fight back or you want to run and get out of there. There's a shell that you tend to go into defensively, but Jesus says to us as his followers, no, 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 I have a different life for you. There's a, a greater expectation I have for you as my follower. So right after the beatitude and especially after emphasizing the beatitude of being persecuted, Jesus says the following in Matthew chapter 5 verses 13 and 14. He says, "You are the salt of the earth." But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Then he says, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. And church, what Jesus is saying here is that my role for you is not to retreat, but to engage. My role for you is to press into the culture instead of the the culture pressing into you. Because church, let me tell you something. You are either going to be an influencer or you are going to be influenced. You're either going to be acting out your faith in Jesus Christ or you are going to be acted upon. And even though church, we have this temptation where times are tough and rough and we feel persecuted by the outside world. Even though there's this temptation to retreat and withdraw into our own little Christian communities and cliques, Jesus said that the citizens of my kingdom have an important role to play in this world. Even in the world that persecutes them. They are to be like salt and light. And church, I want you to come on a journey with me here today because there is a big message for us this morning. It's a message, church, that reminds us that our discipleship as followers of Jesus Christ is not just for our benefit. But part of the reason why God wants to work in your life and mine and why He wants us to be His followers is that so we can do good for others and lead them to Him and to His kingdom. It's not just all about us. Can we agree on that this morning? God puts you and I those of us who want to be his followers, he puts us in this world so that we can be a blessing and an influencer to do good for this very world, to be salt and light within this world. It's not just for our own personal benefit. And let me put it to you this way. The way of the kingdom is not about self. It's about selflessness. And in your heart and in your actions, you may want to write off a world that you perceive as going to hell and doesn't like you very much, right, and even persecute you. But that's not what Jesus calls his disciples to do. He says you can't write off the world. You've got to get in there and be the salt and bring the light. Right? That's what he tells us to do. So what I want to do is break this message down into two parts this morning. First of all, the part where Jesus talks about being salt, and then we will look at the light. Verse 13 again says, You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. The first illustration that Jesus uses for our connection and engagement with the world is that we are to be salt. And church, what was the idea of salt anyway when it came to the ancient world? You've got some good words coming out there. I'll, I'll expand on that now. <laughs> First of all, church, salt was a very precious commodity in the ancient world. It was used to, to trade goods. You would obviously take your salt and you maybe trade it for some food or some clothing. It was like a a currency. In some places in the ancient world, Roman soldiers would even receive their pay in salt along with the goods that they plundered. So imagine you go to get your pay at the end of the month and they give you this little pouch of salt. It's not really worth that much now, but that's how valuable and how sellable salt was in the ancient world. It It was precious. And Jesus is saying to us as his followers that you are precious in this world. That's something special to hold on to, isn't it? But you know what? That's not even the primary meaning. One of the primary meanings behind it is the idea that Christians are to serve as a preserving influence in this world. When you and I think of salt, we think of something that we have on our tables that we season our food with, right? You put salt in it. And some of you, if you're like me, you put salt in everything. Right? Even before you taste the food, you're already asking for the salt. I'm like that, sorry. In our household, my, my daughter, Rachel, and myself, we just keep on passing the salt around. I keep on telling my wife, let's just buy a couple of extra things of salt, you know. But you see, church, especially when, it, uh, when it's used well and when it's used properly, Salt greatly enhances the flavor of food. And in the ancient world, yes, salt was used to flavor food, but probably more importantly, salt was used to preserve food. You know the salted meats that we like? That originally came out of necessity because back then they didn't have refrigeration or sophisticated mechanisms to preserve food, especially meat. So a very basic way that you could do this was by packing the meat with salt, and it would preserve it. It would slow the decaying process down. So the idea behind salt is very much of a preserving influence, and that's what Jesus says about his people. You are to be like a preservative in this world. Because if the world around you is going to hell, the, the presence of kingdom representatives in its midst should make it slow down in its progress to hell. It should make the world better, not worse, for the fact that Christians are in its midst. Right? Does that make sense? Does that challenge you? The world is supposed to be better for the fact that Christians are in it. I heard a story about a pastor in a, in a church in Tel Aviv in Israel. And if you're a pastor in that area, one thing that you've got to get used to is a lot of Orthodox Jews in that community. And this particular church was located right next door to an Orthodox Jewish school and seminary, the place where there were obviously a lot of Orthodox Jews around. And this pastor tells of a unique experience that he had with one of the rabbis one day. One of the rabbis came up to him and said to him, I want to hate you. I want to wish that you were gone. The pastor was quite surprised, and he said, well, thank you for being honest, but, but why do you say this? And the rabbi said, because I see all the good you're doing in your community through your soup kitchen, the way that you, you love the poor, that you love the drug addict, and the way that you just practically serve and help other people. I see all the good you do, and as much as I want to hate you, I can't. And church, isn't that just a very practical way that this pastor and church were adding good flavor to that community? And it should be the same for us. Christians should be a blessing wherever they go. It should be a good thing that there are Christians in the community of Mulbarton, Especially Christians from this church, right? It should be a good good thing that Christians in the community of Mondior and, you know, Bessonia, and Glen Vista, and Bracken Downs, and Brackenhurst, and Sederwood. Where else? Keebler Park. Randart. It should be good for the schools schools and hospitals in our community. It should be good for the brokenhearted, for the drug addict, that there are Christians in our community. They should look around and say, this is good, this is like salt on food, making this life taste a bit better. You see, this is something good, church, and and this is the standard that Jesus has given us. Like to be salt that goes out in a precious way, in a preserving way, and in a flavoring way into our community and wherever we have influence. That's the first thing. And secondly, in verse 14, Jesus says, You are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. He goes on to say in the next few verses, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. And he concludes by saying, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's what it's about. So after saying that believers are like salt on the earth, the second illustration that Jesus uses for our connection and engagement with the world is that we are to be light. And just a few uh, quick observations about light this morning. Did you know that some light is visible to the human eye, but most light is not visible? I don't quite know how they know this. I actually want them to come and show me how to do this. But apparently some animals and insects can see part of the light spectrum that we cannot. Apparently. Light is an energy beam that moves in wavelengths along the electromagnetic spectrum. And light travels at a speed of approximately, does anybody know? Plenty. What did you say? (laughs) at 300,000 kilometers per second. So for instance, for you to get light from the moon to the earth will take you about 1.3 seconds. In the Bible, light is mentioned more than 250 times. The very first time that the, the word light is used in the Bible is the first commandment that God gives in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, where he says, let there be light, and there was light. The last time you see the word light in the Bible is in the book of Revelation where they're speaking about heaven and where it says, there will be no night there. No need for lamps or sun for the Lord God will shine on them and they will reign forever and forever. Amen? And of course, the Bible describes God as being light. It says in 1 John First John chapter 1 verse 5 it says this is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you God is light and there is no darkness in him at all And in John chapter 8 verse 12 Jesus spoke to the people once more and said I am the light of the world If you follow me you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life And you see, church, having light in the Bible is a metaphor for having truth and ultimately having Jesus as the source of truth. Walking in darkness is the opposite of that. So the Bible uses light and darkness in many metaphorical ways to communicate whether we are walking in truth, whether you know Jesus, that's walking in the light, or whether you are walking in darkness, that is you walking in the world, and you're not walking in relationship with the Lord. Jesus gave a very strong statement in John chapter 3, verses 19 to 21. He said, and the judgment is based on this fact. He says, God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins Will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light and listen to this, so others can see that they are doing what God wants. So, the question then, church, with this brief, brief background here, is why would Jesus use these particular metaphors to talk about who we are and the mandate that He's given us? Why would He use the metaphors of, of salt and light? It's interesting to note that salt and light have a few things in common. The first thing when it comes to salt and light is that both are needed to sustain life. And I don't know if you know this, but if the sodium levels in the human body drop too low, it's called hyponatremia and it can result in death. Right? You can die when the sodium level or the salt levels in your body drop too low. High performance athletes know this, and after they work out strenuously, one of the first things that they have to do by replacing or after replacing all the liquids is they have to make sure that there's enough salt put back into their body. Because a healthy level of salt in your body sustains good health. A similar thing is true about light. Because without light, what happens to vegetation? It does. We know that light is required for the process of photosynthesis and for vegetation to live and grow. Without light, we go hungry, right? And you know, church, even people suffer where there's low light conditions. People who live in dark, wintry climates like in England, or especially places like Alaska, where sometimes you don't see daylight for a couple of months at a time, people have to sit under light lamps. There's actually a disorder for that. It's called SAD. It stands for Seasonal Affective Disorder, where people actually get depressed because there's not enough light. It's very sad. I've heard of many South Africans that go and stay in England, for instance, and they, they become depressed. Right? When they come back, they say, I love being in Africa. And so they have to sit under these lights in order to keep seasonal affected disorder from causing them to crash into depression. All this to say, church, is that salt and light are necessary elements to sustain life. And if we apply these metaphors to our Christian lives, we should be offering life-giving and sustaining hope to a corrupt and dying world. This is what we've been called to do. And this is what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 2. He said, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault and in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. So in other words, what Paul is saying here, church, in this passage is that we are to shine like lights to help people see true life. The life that Jesus came to give us, not this life that the the world wants to give us. You remember what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10? I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly, right? And I want to show you something about this word life. We know that in the English language, there's only one word for the word life. But in the original Greek language, there's, there's two words for the word life. They are the Greek words bios and zoe. Spout like the word zoe. If your name is zoe, you might have a different understanding of your name this morning. Bios means physical or natural life. Biology is the study of bios, physical, natural life. And then the other Greek word, zoe, means spiritual, eternal life. And so in the Greek language, church, when it's recorded here where Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, he doesn't say bios. He says that I have come that you may have zoe. Because I want you to have life that transcends the physical because that's the real essence of who you and I are. And why is this important? Because one day our bios bodies are going to die, but Zoe lives forever. Come on. And that's what Jesus came to die for, is for your and my eternal sake. And church, that's why we must be like salt and light in this world, so that we can help people understand the Zoe life. Because this is of much greater significance than the bios life. You know, it's like when you go to a, a funeral of, of a believer. And the family are believers as well. Right? Yes, they mourn that the Bios life is over, but they rejoice in the fact that the Zoe life is just getting started in the presence of Jesus. Amen? You see, our eternity is going to be lived out in one place or another. And that's why Jesus calls us to be the salt and light that we might affect our world and help them to understand that there is an eternal life in heaven with Jesus. Amen. A Zoe life with Jesus. There's also a Zoe life in hell, by the way. But we need to show them the other route. Another common characteristic shared between salt and light is that both have penetrating properties. Salt penetrates food and it gives it flavor and it And it preserves it, and light penetrates the darkness and makes it bright. Church, they both invade whatever space they are introduced to. And may I say, so should we. So should we. Because let me tell you something, there is nothing passive, there is nothing neutral about salt and light. There's no gray areas. Their natural properties go to work and result in change. Either a change in flavor when it comes to salt or a change in brightness when we're speaking about light. And church, did you know that's what we're called to be about? To to infect in an infectious way, in a good way, by penetrating our culture, by being the salt and light and making a difference, a marked difference in this world. John Stott, a well-known theologian who died in 2011, he wrote on this topic of salt and light, and he said this, and I I think you will agree with me, these are very sobering words. Have a look at this. He said, if the house is dark at night, there is no sense in blaming the house. That's what happens when the sun goes down. The question to ask is, where is the light? If meat goes bad, there is no sense in blaming the meat. That is what happens when the bacteria are allowed to breed unchecked. The question to ask is, where is the salt? If society becomes corrupt like a dark night or a stinking fish, there's no sense in blaming society. That's what happens when fallen human society is left to itself and human evil is unrestrained and unchecked. The question to ask is, where is the church? Where is the church? He says, are you looking for someone or something to blame for the way that the world is today? Maybe, just maybe, we've been looking in all the wrong places. And church, that's why we need to be the salt and light in in every strata of society. You know, whether you're in the banking sector, whether you have your own private business, whether you're running for public office in government, or you're a policeman, or a policewoman, or a nurse, or whether you're a mom fighting for the rights of her children at a at a school board meeting, every single one of us need to live out our faith and share our faith so that we can impact this world for Christ. Because we are living in a culture that needs to be seasoned with salt and illuminated with light. This is our mandate. You see, church, this is what Jesus calls his kingdom ambassadors to be about. And you know, this text that we've been reading here this morning, Jesus warns us that we will become ineffective Christians if we lose our saltiness or we hide our light. So he challenges us. He says to us, do not lose your saltiness and do not hide your light under a basket. In other words, church, what he is saying is that we must be careful that we don't get to this place where we become apathetic about our faith, where we don't become indifferent about our faith. We don't just grunt, you know, go by every day in our Christian journeys and our Christian lives, and, and yes, we are saved, but we don't realize that we need to be the salt and the light. Do not become apathetic about your faith and don't become disengaged from the culture. Because he says you need to set your your light on a stand for everyone to see. He says, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You see, church, if, and here's the challenging part, if we see this as a mandate from our Lord Jesus himself, because that's what it really is, If Christians are to be the kind of people that impact and influence our world that Jesus intended, it'll be only because Christians understand this. And what Jesus is saying here is a mandate to go out and impact our culture. That's what he's saying. You know, too many times, too many Christians are content to sit on the sidelines and not get in the game. And you know what? That's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. Jesus teaches us here in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 about getting off the sidelines and getting into the game. Living out our faith in such a real and tangible way that it is infectious to the world around us. That we are influencing our world instead of being influenced by it. And that we are impacting our world starting right where we live, right where we work, right where we train, and for those of you that are young enough this morning, right where you go to school. There are sadly too many Christians who think that their faith is something that they just need to hold on to until they get to heaven, rather than hold out to others when they are here on this earth. Too many Christians don't have the mindset that they should, which is my faith is not just about getting me to heaven, but it's also about influencing this world for Christ. And church, this is the mandate that Jesus has given us when he uses these these metaphors of salt and light. You know, when I hear Christians say, you know, I'm a Christian, but, but my faith is private. My faith is personal. What they're really saying is, I'm a Christian, but I don't want to be noticed. That's what they're really saying. When people use the answer, it's just private for me, you know what, I don't talk about it, I don't let people know, I keep my beliefs to myself because I don't want to offend other people. What they're really saying is, I don't want to be noticed, and I don't want to put myself out there. And I want to ask you an important question this morning. When you think about these, these metaphors that Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth and the light of this world, do you think he means that he wants you to go unnoticed? Of course not. It's impossible. I mean, can salt go unnoticed when it flavors food? Can light go unnoticed when it comes into a dark room and and dispels the darkness? It's impossible. And so church, this is a mandate. As I start to close this morning, this is a mandate for us to live out our faith in such a way that influences and impacts our world. Jesus is calling the citizens of His kingdom to make a difference. To not be silent. To not be passive. To not be embarrassed about their faith or irrelevant irrelevant about their faith. To be bold. See, that's not been salt and light if you're worried about those things. Rather, He calls us to be engaged in our culture He calls us to to promote biblical values. He calls us to speak and stand for truth and to live for Jesus and share Jesus wherever and whenever you can. Church, as we see, as we go through this, this series on the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount is not for the faint of heart, but it is for those that want to follow Jesus. And there are some people who will listen to all of this and say, you know what, this is not for me. But if you're willing to accept this church as a challenge to be like Jesus in this world, to flavor your world, and to influence your world, and to illuminate your world so that you can bring glory to God, then you will be fulfilling the mandate that Jesus calls us into in this powerful sermon. And you know, church... Many times in our Christian journeys, we, we like to walk on the sidelines. You can see a little line on the floor here, right? And we hear a good sermon. Inspires us. Someone prays for us. We feel good for that day. We listen to podcasts during the week. We attend a ladies' meeting or, or a men's meeting. We feel encouraged. But God is not asking us to walk here. He's asking us to step into the game. And let me tell you something. It's not our job to change people's hearts. That's God's work. It's our job to be salt. Add a bit of flavor to where you are. Bring a bit of light into that dark situation. And you know what? People might not always like what you, what you have to say. But that light, you, you can't... You can, when, when light comes in, it's going to dispel darkness. You're going to start having an impact on people. And you know what? We're all responsible in some way or another. I went for a, a run yesterday morning, and I, was, I ran past my neighbor... You know, I've said hello to him a few times here and there, but you know what? I've never actually met my neighbor. I've been there over a year. Am I really being salt in that person's life? Am I speaking something about who I am and who I stand for in that person's life? It's time for us to get off the sidelines of Christians and get into the game. Amen. Are we ready to do that this morning, church? Are we ready to receive that word this morning? we need to remember church we can only do so much in people's lives but you know what if you don't even go there it means nothing you might goof up I'm using my, my Robbie's word we might goof up in life right you might say the wrong things but you can plant a seed in someone's head right I think it's time and you know how we're going to know that it's time we're going to see more people in this church Because you're going to start inviting more people to church. Right? Because you want them to experience. You want them to meet this Jesus that has changed your life so much. Amen? Father God, we just want to thank you so much for your word this morning. We pray today, Lord, that we would be Christians that have an impact and an influence in our world. Starting with where we live, where we work, and where we go on a daily basis. Where we go to school. Lord, help us to get off the lines of our Christian lives and get into the game. Help us not to go around and say that I'm a Christian, but my faith is private. Lord, may we accept this as a mandate from you personally, because it is. To be salt in the earth and light in the world and to make a difference. Lord, we leave the results up to you. We can't change hearts. That's your work. We can't orchestrate things beyond just being a vessel that you would use. That we might let our light so shine before people that they would see our good deeds. And that somehow, Lord, the way we live our lives would point people back to you. We love you, Lord, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen, amen and Amen. This is give God all the glory for his word this morning.